but before we get into it, um, I've been uh, trying to do this practice some more often, and uh, some of you probably do this all the time. I just feel like I'm a little slow, um, where I'm trying to carve out space in my life to pray and just ask the Spirit if there's anything He wants to do or say. And um, during worship, I did that. I just said, Spirit, is there anything that maybe we could pray for specifically? And then, I mean, we've just like been in an atmosphere of faith and expectation, all these things. But here, here's what I think the Holy Spirit said to me. And it might have been, maybe it was the Holy Spirit, maybe it's that I haven't eaten today, and it was that. But, um, but I feel like um, he said there's somebody in the place, and the thing that you are you're carrying today is that you don't know how rent's going to come this month. And so I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, but maybe that's, that's you. And, and then I asked more about it. I think maybe if that's you, there's a struggle going on in your mind where you're saying, God, I've, I've heard about all these prayer things and, and you answering prayers for other people. But the thing you keep thinking about is like there's not enough money in the bank account. And I was reminded of Paul's exhortation at the end of his letter to the Philippian church where he says, and my God will provide all of your needs according to the glorious riches that are hidden in Christ Jesus. So it's not according to your means. It's not according to what's in your bank account. And so I just want to pause and invite God's spirit and pray for that situation, if that's you today. So Father, we believe today that you're a good father that provides for your children. And God, I pray for if that is, if, if this is you, if you're speaking to somebody, if that's someone's situation in the place today, God, we believe and we're reminded that you are a provider. And God, we stop and we even think of the, the, the words we declared in worship today that said your promise still stands and your faithfulness is great. And if you've done it before, you can do it again. And so God, we believe that you can do that in this situation. And so we just pray for a release of the resources of heaven. We pray for peace in the midst of it. And I pray for this person or this family. God, I pray that they would find the strength of God in this moment to stand in faith instead of fear, to believe you instead of given to doubt, to reject anxiety and believe that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard their heart and mind as they wait for the promise to come. So God, would you do it? Would you do it, God? And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for having me this morning, and uh, it's so good to be with you. And honestly, and I mean, people say stuff, and I try not to say stuff that I don't mean, um, just because it's nice to say, but this really does feel like family in a lot of ways. And um, maybe it's because I look a lot like Daniel, and so you just think I'm him, and, you tr and that you treat me like family, but... It might, it might be more than that. It might not be, but it's, it just keep doing it anyways. It's fine. But uh, um, this church has become just such a blessing to us, and uh, we really feel part of what's happening here. And you guys and this church has been such a blessing to, to Kelsey and I in our journey towards planting this church. And I want you to know, and I, again, I really believe this, is that the your prayers and your belief and your investment in what we're doing has carried us more times than you know. People told me that church planting would be hard, and like, they're right. <laughs> they're right. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And there's moments it's just like, I don't know what's happening, and all of a sudden you feel like the, this wind of God come back. 
and you're reminded of what's going on and why you're doing this. And it just feels like something other than yourself is carrying you. And I believe that this church has been part of that. So we just want to say thank you so much. Thank you for, for believing in it. Thank you for loving this city that we've come to love. Thank you for investing much longer than we've been here. But we're coming to say we want to stand shoulder to shoulder with churches like Horizon Church to see God's kingdom come in Surrey as it is in heaven. That's our heart. And here's the thing, I think, if I were to like list out all the things I love most about this church family, I think right at the top, I would say this, is that you live with a vision that's bigger than you are. This church, you, you just live with a vision that's bigger than you are. You're not limited in your vision by the size of the room, the amount of people in the chairs, the amount of resources in the bank account. You just live with a faith that God could do something great. I love that. And it inspires me. And guess what? You might not know this. If you come and you sit in the seats all the time and, and this is your kind of your rhythm, you some, we sometimes miss the bigger story that's going on. But from someone who's just kind of is a part of it but outside of it, this is what's true of you. Is that your influence as a church is already reaching beyond the walls of this church. It's great influence. And it's because of this, I believe, is that you're making a difference in the city and in the world because you're not content to just come and be spectators. You're not just sitting around. You're a church that realizes that if the good things that happen inside this space don't somehow make a difference outside of his, then what happened in here wasn't all that powerful anyways. Like if what happens in here doesn't somehow impact what's out there, then this wasn't all that powerful. This was just another thing that made us feel good for a while. This was just another example of something we do. But you live with a vision to see a city changed, to live in the mission of God in the city around us, to be people full of the Spirit, not just here, but out there. But have you noticed how trying to work that out seems like it's getting harder all the time. Like, I mean, what I mean is this, is that I don't know if you've noticed, but our world is changing really quickly. Like our world is changing rapidly. Barna, there's a group that does studies on culture and trends. They recently did a, a study about uh, young adults leaving the church and the, sort of the general uh, view of the culture towards Christianity. And what they found is this, in a large percentage of the population, they would say their view of Christianity at best is that it's irrelevant, but at worst is that it's dangerous for the culture. That's what we're living in. That's what we're kind of up against as people. We're living in what, what sociologists call a post-Christian culture, which is not just a culture that's moved beyond Christianity as if it's over with this dead, tired thing, but in a lot of ways, post-Christian culture is something that defines itself against Christianity. It recognizes the roots and influence that a Christian worldview has had, but tries to take what we like, but put a new name on it, put a new spin on it, and then fully reject everything else that doesn't feel right or fit with the narrative that we're trying to live out in the culture. And so I think the question many of us are asking is how do we live as followers of Jesus in the midst of a culture that seems to be growing more and more hostile towards Christianity? Or maybe the question is this, is, is it possible 
to be faithful to Jesus and still make a difference in the culture around us. See, there's a few different responses that people can have to a changing culture, one that feels a bit more antagonistic or even hostile towards what we believe as Christians. And so one, one response could be this, is we could just give up. Just call it a lost cause. We'll come gather in rooms like this with a bunch of Christians and sort of huddle up and sing great music and have great services and then just sort of hide away because it's a lost cause. We can't do it. We're just waiting for it to all be over. Another response could be that like the hide and retreat response, which is like a save ourselves. And that's a similar response. We're just going to huddle away. We're going to get around people that think like us, see the world like us. We're going to just sort of exist quietly in the midst of the culture and just go along our way. Another response that I see happening in parts of our culture is this, is we, we might try to say, how, how do we regain some form of cultural dominance? Like, remember when, when we had the political edge? Remember when we had the cultural upper hand? And we try to somehow regain it in the midst of culture. But I think there's another way, another response is that we could engage. We could live in the way of Jesus in the midst of a changing culture and work together towards its flourishing. Because I believe this. I believe that it's possible for us as a community to live in the midst of a hostile culture while holding a distinct set of beliefs and values and expressions, but in a way that brings life and goodness to the culture around us. So this morning, there's lots of things we could talk about about how to do this, and I want to just focus in on one way, one way that we do this, and it's this. If we're going to live as faithful and fruitful followers of Jesus in the midst of our culture, we need to live from a more compelling narrative. A more compelling narrative. What does that mean to live out of a compelling narrative? See, the truth is, is that every one of us live out of a narrative every single day. There's a story that plays out in our minds every day about how things are, what things are true, how we should respond. And this story, this narrative, dictates the way that we live every single day. It dictates the way that you respond when someone cuts you off in traffic or the lineup is too long or how you see people that are different than you. This story that plays out in our mind uh, uh, determines the way that we live. And most of the time, we're pretty unaware of these stories that we tell ourselves, these narratives that run through our mind. But they're powerful, a powerful force in the way that we live our lives every single day. This narrative or story could also just be called worldview. All of us have adopted a way in which we see and interpret the world around us. My kids have a worldview. Right now, their worldview is very, very small. They don't think about or worry about the same things you or I worry about. Like their worldview barely reaches the, like the gate of our complex that we live in. Right now their life consists of like snacks and Beyblades. And that is life. That's it. And if you've lost your launcher, life is over. Like it's like that is their worldview. And eventually their worldview is going to have to grow. It's going to have to become more complete. It's going to have to live in the nuance of what life actually is. But all of us have a worldview. 
Ravi Zacharias, he says that every worldview has to answer these four questions. First, it has to answer the question of origins, which is why am I here? It has to answer the question of morality, which is what's right and what's wrong. It has to answer the question of meaning, what gives me meaning? And it has to answer the question of destiny, what happens to a human being when they die? So let's try something for a minute. Let's run a few like general worldviews through this grid and see how we would answer these questions. Let's start like from like an, an atheist worldview or like a naturalism worldview. How would they answer questions like this? Well, when it comes to origins, we'd probably say, well, we're a product of chance. There's no big plan behind human existence. Everything we see is of natural causes. It all started back then with one big bang and here we are today. The questions of morality, they might say this, like who is to decide what's ultimately right and wrong? You can't decide for me. I can decide for me. You can decide for you. I'll define it how I feel fit. And um, hopefully we just all can work our way around those things. Question of morality, it's something that we assign. When it comes to meaning, what gives my life meaning? We might say something like this if we have this worldview. We might say, well, we have to make the most of the time that we have. And meaning in life is what I assign to my life personally. That's where I find meaning. And when it comes to destiny, it would be, this is all there is. There's nothing after this. We die, we become dirt again, and that's it. What, let's do one more. What about like a, a kind of a general Canadian worldview? And by Canadian worldview, I mean this. Like, we're kind of spiritual, but not very religious, we like spiritual things, but we don't generally like the institutions of faith. We understand that, that religion has had a, like a, an effect on our culture at one point, but we're pretty sure we're all the way beyond that. How might we answer these questions? Well, we probably actually don't start with origins. We probably start with meaning because we feel like our life is important. We feel like if we make the right decisions and do the right things, our life will matter. Our life will impact more than just us. So maybe that sense of meaning comes to, has us asked the question of origins. Can it answer it? Was, did we come from God? Well, maybe, but not necessarily. We maybe came from something. Like maybe there's some sort of force out there that's bigger than just natural causes. But we seem to be okay with not really knowing. When it comes to morality, the highest virtue is tolerance. You can believe whatever you like about morality as long as it doesn't infringe on what I believe about morality. And when it comes to destiny, it's who knows. We really like the idea of a heaven. We don't like the idea of a hell. Maybe we come back as something else. Maybe there's nothing. But every worldview answers these questions. And Christianity, what I love about what we believe is you start to dig it, it actually has robust answers for all of these questions. It's clear, it has something that's cohesive and makes sense. But in his book, The Creative Minority, author John Tyson, he, he kind of a, comes at this a different way. The next slide's gonna come up and he uses a slightly different framework. So instead of origins, morality, meaning, and destiny, he says it like this. We have to answer these questions about creation. Where did I come from? The next is like about the fall. Like what went wrong with all of this? Because when you look at the world, you say something went wrong. This is, cannot be the intended purpose of all of this. Third, we have to answer the question of redemption. How do we fix it? And then fourth, we have to answer the question of restoration. What is my purpose in the midst of all of this? 
And so this is how a Christian worldview starts to answer these questions because it starts not where we are, but it starts from the beginning. And it says this, that the world and everything we know is the good creation of a loving God. He didn't, it wasn't just a mistake, it wasn't an accident, but with intention and purpose, he spoke it all into, his, in, into existence. And at the pinnacle of his creation, he created human beings, man and woman, in his image and gave them dominion and power over the creation. But then something went wrong. What was it? We were tempted by Satan and we sinned. And that sin separated us in relationship from our loving God. He didn't leave, but it separated us. It caused a fracture in what was once united. And now sin started to wreak havoc in God's good creation. Then how do we fix it? Jesus came in the form of a human being, taking on the flesh and condition of every human being. And he lived on the earth and he lived a sinless life. And he didn't just live uh, in isolation. He didn't just live for his own purposes, but he came to show us what God was like. And at the end of his life, he died on a cross, taking on the sins of humanity so that we could be forgiven and know that the grace of Jesus in our life forever. But he didn't just die and pay the penalty. He rose again, defeating sin and death forever and now sits at the right hand of the father interceding for us forevermore that's how we fix the problem but there's more what's our purpose now what's our purpose in life it's this is now we're invited to join God and seeing the renewal and the restoration of his good creation on planet earth we have to believe this, my friends, is that this whole thing is not just going to go down a steep like, like cliff into obliteration, that this thing is actually moving towards a hopeful end. You've got to read the end of the book. He's at work, and it's not just him at work, and he just says, you messed this up, I'll fix it. He says, I'm inviting you in. I'm inviting you into this process. I want to use you in seeing the renewal of all things on planet Earth. That's the Christian story. That's what we believe. That's the good news. The problem is this, is that a lot of people sell the Christian worldview short. And the people who are the worst at it are us, Christians. We're terrible at telling our story. It's like we've been given this beautiful four-chapter story as a beginning and the middle and the end, and we just have chosen to live and read and experience the middle two chapters because this is what a lot of us have been pitched. It goes something like this. It says, hey, you're a disaster. You're a sinner. You deserve to go to hell. Thank God Jesus came to forgive you so you could go to heaven one day. And that's kind of the story. Now stop. If that was the full story, it's pretty true and it's still pretty good news. But the, the, the news is even better than that. Because... There's good news on either side of fall and redemption. It's a story that starts with a good creation. And it says this, we're not just sinners. We're not just disasters. Who are we? We're human beings made in the image of a loving God. And then it has good news afterwards because we don't just have to sit around and wait. Oh, thank goodness that God had mercy on me. I'm just going to sit and wait and hopefully not screw this things up. It's a good God that says, I'm going to invite you in and help you find your purpose in the world and seeing the renewal of all things. See, for us to live as God's people in the world and in the culture, we need to understand and live out of the whole story, not just part of it. Because if we could see the whole story God is writing, and our role in it, 
we completely change the way we live out of that story in the midst of our culture. See, here's, here's why this is all important. In a large part of the Old Testament, we read about God's people in exile. God's people had sinned and rebelled, and part of his, God's consequences to his people to ultimately turn their heart back to him is that they were given over to to be defeated by Babylon, and they were taken into exile. God's people, they were transported to a completely foreign land with a different culture, a different set of values, a different way of looking at things, and they were to live as slaves in this new culture. And at one point, the exiles, they receive a letter from the prophet Jeremiah, and at the time, they had been receiving word from false prophets saying, hey, this exile you're in, it's going to end like really, really soon. And, but then they get this letter from the prophet Jeremiah that is sobering yet hopeful. And it's, we find it in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4 through 7. And some of you just realized that Jeremiah 29 has more than just verse 11 in it. That's a church joke if you didn't understand it. It's not that funny. So Jeremiah 29 Verse 4 through 7, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God's people living in exile, a culture that was nothing like they knew. And God says, settle down. Build houses. Have families. Seek the peace and prosperity the city to which I've carried you into exile. Does that sound absurd to anybody else? Does that sound a little crazy? God, what? Do you remember what they did? Do you remember how they burned our cities and they killed our families and destroyed our crops? Do you remember how they treated us since we've been here? And you're saying, seek its prosperity, seek its good. How does that work? Maybe some of you can relate at some level to that feeling when you think about the culture around us. Like, honestly, sometimes when I see the state of our culture, I can get frustrated, I can get angry, I can get discouraged to say, I don't even know how to approach this. It's so hostile, it's so dangerous, it feels like. I don't know what I can say or can't say. How do I live this out? And it's easy to say, can we just be done with this? Can we just retreat and hide? Can we just be quiet about what God has done? Can we just try to live and, and not do much? But I believe God would say a very similar thing to you and I who might feel discouraged or frustrated or afraid of the culture around us. He would say, settle down. Put down some roots. Engage. Seek the peace and prosperity to the city in which I have placed you. But how do you do that? It's by realizing our part in God's story on planet Earth. This story has a beautiful beginning. And trust me, it's moving towards a hopeful end. 
It's moving towards something good. Not only are we God's beloved children made in his image in the world, we're also called into the work of seeing the renewal of his creation on planet Earth. And when we realize that, it's then that we're empowered to work and seek the prosperity and the peace of the city in which we live, creating a good culture regardless of where we're located, no matter how hostile or foreign to the values of the kingdom it might feel. See, God's kingdom is always a subversive kingdom. It's not this thing that comes in and dominates. It's often quiet. It's often subversive. It's little groups of people living in the way of Jesus together, and that's where its power is. Jesus always talked about the kingdom like this. Like what's one of his most common analogies of the kingdom? It's a seed, A seed is not imposing. A seed is not powerful. A seed cannot bring shade or bear fruit. It's a seed. That's what God's kingdom is like. And that's what it's still like in the midst of our culture today. See, when we miss the creation and restoration parts of the story, we're left to fill in the blanks on our own. It's like we can start to think, like, well, I'm saved and going to heaven. But how do I live now? Where do I get my cues? What's my purpose right now? And see, the danger in living out of only part of God's story is this. Number one is we might spend our whole time on earth just waiting to get off earth, get out of here. So our purpose becomes to convert others, as many as possible, separate from the rest of the world, and wait for heaven. So we spend our whole lives on the outskirts yelling at the culture about how dirty it is and just hoping to God that we don't get stained by it too. We're just waiting to get out of here and hopefully I've got like a few notches on my belt of people that we brought into the kingdom. The other danger is this, is that we simply begin to adopt the worldview of the culture around us. Because remember, we all have to answer those questions. And when we live out of only part of the story, we're left to adopt the culture's worldview on the rest. So we become like comfortable in exile. I believe these things about God and about this stuff, I don't know. It's just whatever feels right and comfortable and doesn't get me into too many debates or arguments on Facebook. That's kind of what I will live out. We become comfortable with the culture's definition of reality and our Christianity becomes just another religious system in the marketplace of faith ideas, but it doesn't produce the life transformation that we need. Because we have so much more than just a religious system to offer. Because we're called to bring the renewal of all things. See, as we're praying and planning and getting ready to launch a church in four weeks today, by the way, which is insane. Pray for us. I I feel like I've got 12 weeks of work to do in four. So, but we're not just going to start another gathering of Christians. And our vision is not just that a few more people will go to heaven instead of hell because we're there, but we hope that's a story for so many people. But we believe that God is actively renewing all things in the city. And he's invited us to join him in seeing these things happen. And we believe the city has to be better because we're there. The city has to change because we're there. The people of the city should prosper because the kingdom of God is coming. 
That, like, people, there should be less lonely people because God's kingdom is breaking out. There needs to be less hungry, hurting people because God's kingdom is breaking out. There has to be less people gripped by anxiety and fear and depression because God's kingdom is there and it's breaking out. There must be less people who don't know who they are and where they belong and what they're here to do. We have to help them answer those questions because God's kingdom is coming. The story God is inviting us into as a church is bigger than more church services. It's an invitation to join him in seeing the renewal of his good creation. To see the rule and reign of Jesus go from this one day thing to, to, to today. Jesus taught us to pray this way. He said, Father, pray this way that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. in Surrey as it is in heaven. I'm telling you, this has changed my vision of what we are as the church and God's kingdom. I keep asking us, myself and our team, as we, I say, what would God's kingdom look like if it broke out right now? When I'm struggling with fear or anxiety, I say, whoa, whoa is there fear and anxiety in God's kingdom? And there's not. What, like, is there lonely people? There's not. Is there broken people in God's kingdom? There's not. And so he said, pray that the kingdom would come now as it is in heaven. Right now. That's the renewal of all things. Worship team, you can begin to come up as we wind down. You see, when we're caught up in the whole story God is writing, we have a much more compelling story to invite people into. Because it's such good news. The message of God's kingdom, the good news of the gospel, it's such good news. And it's more than Jesus died and rose again to forgive you for your sins. That's good, but it's better than that. Because it's a story that speaks the identity and the dignity of every human being. It speaks about God's loving relationship with his people to say, like, the brokenness of sin doesn't have to define you. You are made in the image of God. And listen, in, in our culture right now, we have to find like common ground for people. We often need to go all the way back to this point because that's common ground most people believe in. Is that somewhere and some point of our history, things were good. And so we go all the way back to the dignity of human beings. That's where we can find common ground. But it's also a story that answers the problems of the world. We don't bury our head in the sand. We're, we're, we're honest about the problems of the world. We're clear about why things are broken. Sin is a big deal. It distorts and perverts God's good creation. And it's a story that speaks of a Savior who came to make things right by giving his own life. The foolishness of the cross where a king would die. That's a strange kingdom yeah. that we're a part of when a king would die for his people. But it's true. And it's a story where God invites us into his good work of seeing his creation restored. It's a story that says to the young girl living on the streets of our city, you have so much value. You're made in the image of God. He loves you. Your life is important. It matters. To the students in our universities, it says your identity and purpose can be wrapped up in something bigger than these things you're chasing. So the business person who appears to have it all together, they have everything that you could ever want, says you can live for something better than your bank account and your stuff. 
Your work is important, but you'll find so much more meaning when you realize it's part of something bigger. What would it look like for you and I to live out of the whole story of God for the benefit and the renewal of the city that we're all a part of? Do you believe God is at work in our city? Do we believe that our city should be better because we're here? Like, should our city be more beautiful because Christians are here? Should it be more inclusive and loving because the church is here? Should it be more generous because the Christians are here? Do we believe that we're called to cultivate and bring goodness to the city and not just try to escape it or somehow regain some form of control over it? Do we believe that the story of God is not just about one day down there, but it's right now. He's writing it and expressing it through our lives today. Do we believe and do we have imagination for what it would look like to see God's kingdom come in Surrey as it is in heaven? Because all of a sudden, then every job matters. You might say, like, I just go to work and, and ministry is what happens in the church. No, it's not. It's what you do every single day, living in the way of Jesus, being the best you can at your job because that's part of all things. And all of a sudden, every person has dignity and value because every person is part of all things that God is renewing. And all of a sudden, your problems become my problems because we're all part of all things together. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're exploring this whole thing or someone tricked you to come, I want you to know that this is the story. God's not pointing a finger at people who are far from him saying, you better fix your life or else. His arms are wide open. They always have been. This thing started good. And yeah, we've run into some problems, but thank goodness Jesus came and he gave his life so that we could receive his forgiveness as a free gift. You don't have to earn it. You never could. But now we get to join him and find purpose in seeing this whole thing of history move towards its hopeful end in Jesus. If we could see the whole story God is writing and our role in it, I think it would completely change the way we live out of that story in the midst of our culture. Because we're called as God's people to live out this story in small yet powerful ways to see his kingdom come in Surrey as it is in heaven. Would you stand with me this morning? I just quickly and we'll, we'll respond in worship and quickly I, I feel like there's maybe three types of people that I'd love to pray for in response to this idea the first would be this is maybe you're here and you just don't see yourself as someone who has the kind of value who's made in the image someone who's made in the image of God like your hang up in all of this is that you don't know who you are in Christ. You just see all your issues, you see all your flaws, you see all the reasons why God couldn't use someone like you. And so you're just here putting in your time, hoping that it's gonna be good enough at the end. And today God by his spirit would wanna say to you, you are so valuable. You are made in the image of God with intention and purpose. You're not a mistake, you're not a fluke. You were put here by design, even the time the history that you live was set by God. It's no mistake that you're living here today in 2018 in this city. 
And today, God, by His Spirit, would say, let me speak purpose and value into you again. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray for those people in the place today. They just don't know who they are. They've got hang-ups in their mind from words and things that have been said or spoken over them. God, I pray that you would break those things today in the name of Jesus and that you would speak powerfully into their soul the, 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 the very identity that you gave them as sons and daughters of God. You're not workers or slaves or far off that you've been brought into the family of God, given a name, given an inheritance that's forever sealed in Jesus. The second person I want to pray for is this, is you're here and you're saying like, you're fearful or angry at the culture around you. You're frustrated with how it's changed. It doesn't make sense to you anymore. But today you're saying, God, would you give me a, a new heart to believe that you're renewing all things, to learn how to love people, even people that are just so frustrating or different, to learn how to engage. It's so the Holy Spirit, I know the frustration that can come sometimes, but God, I pray as your people that we would not point a finger in anger at the world around us, but we have arms open to embrace just as you did, that we wouldn't try to live far away from the issues and the problems, but we would proximate ourselves with people to be close and to hear and to move and live in obedience to your spirit in the midst of all of these things. God, would you help us shape our hearts? Give us your heart for the people and the culture around us in Jesus' name. And finally, maybe you're here and you just don't see how someone like you or the role that you play fits into something like the renewal of all things. So I just do this job, I just swing a hammer, I just, I just stay at home and I just do this or I just do this. And today I want but God's Spirit to say something that is you, what you do is never just anything. It's never just anything. That God, in exactly where you are, you could see God's kingdom break out at any moment. And ministry is not reserved for those with a microphone on a stage, but it's all of us together. And it's not just reserved for what happens in the church building, but it's what happens outside of this, in the everyday stuff of life, walking and living full of His Spirit. And today, I think God's Spirit wants to reframe your life reframe the way that you see it to know that it matters it is important and at any moment God could break out in powerful ways and so God I thank you that as we'll leave this place today we're gathered now and then we'll scatter all across this city and you know where we are and I pray that we would go as people full of your Holy Spirit I thank you for every workplace that's represented here every neighborhood and street every family that we're connected to every place that we'll buy coffee this week every place that will just seemingly live in obscurity. God, I pray that in every place we would see it differently. We would see it through the eyes and the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would pray and we would believe that your kingdom could come in those moments as it is in heaven. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.